Hello and welcome to the Future Projection Podcast. This is a Baseball America podcast hosted by yours truly, Carlos Colazzo, and my always co-host, Ben Badler. How you doing, man? It is Thursday, May 11th. Things are heating up. The draft is getting closer. Everyone in the industry seems to be in your neck of the woods in the Northeast right now. You got a ton of stuff on the website. It's busy times, but what's going on, Ben? Yeah, just got back from fun little road trip through... Uh, through the Northeast here, going through Rhode Island, New York, uh, Long Island, seeing some arms down there, and definitely saw some uh, saw quite a few folks who have very senior level titles <laughs> throughout many different teams. Seeing guys yeah. up here, so it's not quite like it was a couple years ago when there were, uh, you know, like Sal Freelich and. Cody Morris said on Boston College and, you know, Joshua Baez and Frank Mazzucato and all the these guys. draft for the ages, that was. Yeah, but it's, I mean, you've got two of the best lefties in the country with Thomas White in Massachusetts, Alex Clemmy in Rhode Island, and then, you know, Josh Noth drawing a lot of buzz out in New York. So there's definitely some some good arms up in this area this spring. And like I said, definitely seeing quite a quite a few high ranking folks hanging out in the, <laughs> at these high school games. Yeah, that's awesome. I was at a, a Bryce Eldridge and Johnny Farmello matchup recently as well, and there there were a few heavy hitters at that game. So that sounds spicy. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of mid Atlantic. I'm more more south than you are, but it does seem like every year around late April, early May, it's really when things heat up, literally and figuratively, for the Northeast preps. It's a lot easier to get those guys when you'd think the weather's a little bit better. They're stretched out a little bit, um, throwing more than a couple innings. Uh, and, and there's a good chunk of players there, even outside of the pitchers. Sammy Stafura has always been a favorite of mine. I know you saw him in person. What do you think? Is that is that the first time you've seen Sammy in person? I'm sure you've seen him previously, but no, I've seen him, and he and I were chatting about it because I've seen him since it was the summer after his sophomore year of high school. Saw him at a at an event, hit a home run there, and just every time I've seen him, he seems to always hit. And I think the tools have ticked up since then it's even yeah. more speed more explosiveness and just seeing him up close in person i was like "Ooh, this kid's gotten strong mm-hmm. <laughs> and and while staying athletic it's uh it's pretty impressive yeah i really like everything about sephora he just has such a well-rounded game and if those tools are taking up then i'm getting even more excited i feel like he's solidly in that this really really fun prep shortstop group that's at the back of the first second round and Depending on how the season finishes, it wouldn't be surprising for for a couple of those names to pop up in in the twenties. Um, we've seen that happen for for quite a few years, I guess. Just that kind of player profile, and with how wide open everything seems like at this point in the draft, after our excuse me, after our top tier players, um, there's a lot of unknowns out there, and uh, it'll be fun to see what happens. We've only got a few more months till we get to it. We have a mock draft on the website today as we're recording this podcast, so I definitely encourage you guys to check that out. This podcast will be out on Friday, so you'll definitely be able to read through the whole thing. Ben has his international reviews um, going up on the site now, so there's just a wealth of information on the international front that you're not going to get anywhere else that we'll touch on in today's podcast. But just before we get into our conversation, just would encourage you guys all to, to check that out if, if you're interested in either of those items. Um, ben, tell us more about the, the international reviews and, and what people can expect and where you're at in the process for for those going online right now. 
Yeah, so they we published the list of the top 100 uh, players by one, the top 100 signing bonus players. And we have a scouting report up on all 100 players on the site right now. Guys who've signed since January 15th. Uh, you know, the signing period is still going through December 15th. And I, I think there will probably be like, well, you know, a handful, a you know, probably one handful <laughs> at most of players who will end up signing for a, a still significant chunk of money. But at this point, teams have really spent either all or almost all of their bonus pool allotments at this point. So we have that. And then we'll have in total, I think, over 250 scouting reports on players who signs in this current signing class. Mostly guys who are going to be making their uh, Dominicans or their debuts, uh, their pro debuts this summer in the in the DSL. Uh, so team by team, all 30 teams scouting reports on every player who signed for $125,000 or more, uh, plus some lower bonus sleeper players for each organization. So, um, you know, it kind of started out as, hey, we cover the draft like complete uh, lunatics ranking 500 players and, you know, knowing even more players beyond that. So why not kind of try to do the same thing on the international side to allow people to get to know these players who are on the international side before they kind of mm-hmm. blow up in, or at least some of them will blow up and a lot of them will just, you know, never make it out of the DSL too, but uh, before they turn into Jackson Churio or uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez or, or some of these other yeah. guys who are in our top 100 right now or, or throughout our, you know, organization top 30. So names that, uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of people will start to know more in the next few years, but if you want to know them before everybody else, uh, hopefully we've got you covered. And since, you know, all these guys have been in their team academies since January 15th or or close to there about, you know, a lot of the pitchers have started throwing. So we've seen an uptick in stuff for some of them and and just new reports, um, updated reports. You know, we're seeing tools changes, height changes, obviously, because the players are 16 and 17 years old. They're still growing in some cases. So just making sure we have updated reports for, for everybody on the site. Yeah, we always talk about when, when the signing day is actually here, how there's just so many unknowns for the class. You haven't seen them in so long, and this really feels like the time where you do start getting that updated information once they are with their programs and they have signed, and you can start to to evaluate them in in closer to real time, which is cool. I also like the fact that we're just making an effort to start the histories of these players as early as we can just so we have better feel for them as they kind of matriculate up through the system, get on the top 30 list. It always helps inform um, how we think through a player. If, if we just been talking about them, writing about them, breaking them down earlier while acknowledging that there's a lot of change that's going to happen for a lot of these guys. And I will admit, Ben, I have not fully read all of your top 100 reports just yet. That's kind of my, my weekend reading that I have to finish up because it's quite a bit of, of information that you have. Um, and as you said, we're rolling out reviews for every team. How many do we have on the site right now as we record? So we've got the, so we're recording this on Thursday. So the NL West is up today and then we'll do the AL West on Friday. I know we always just I like typically how we started with the West this time. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I know we always start, or we typically start stuff with the East divisions 
so I figured, screw it. Why not we? Why don't we just start? We've probably with built the, up a lot of like animosity and rage from all of the West Coast fans because they're just always last. I the wonder East, if there's East Coast bias. Is it possible for us to change that? Because for the Prospect Handbook, every year I've done it, it's always been East chapters first, then Central, then West. Like logistically, is it even possible for us to change that? I feel like you could just flip it if we wanted to, right? We could do any order we want, and I don't see why not. I mean, okay. <laughs> no, yeah. all, I, I thought there was always some reason why, like for that one specifically, we went through East, but maybe it's just like the tradition has been established, and that's kind of just what we've done. But um, no, congrats to the West Coast guys. You, you finally get a win. I think we should do a lottery, like the ah. and and live stream which order. <laughs> We're, we're gonna we could do we should do something that's more self-serving we should like have our subscribers vote where they want um to come first and basically just encourage uh teams of different divisions to subscribe and and push their vote count up higher so they can get their information first that sounds much better I have a little contest out of it exactly yeah that'd be great so we got those up. Um, I've mostly been focused on draft stuff, obviously, with our mock. So that's on the site as well. Did you have any thoughts on the mock, Ben? I thought I thought you went thirty for thirty. I thought it was perfect. Well, that would be really impressive, especially considering there are only twenty nine players on the mock. But oh, that's right, that's right. <laughs> but I I, gave, I just gave you a bonus credit because I just I thought it was. You were 30 for 29. I, think I thought it get, was that good. When, when there's when it's multiple picks in the first round, you get bonus points if you get the players in the correct spot. So both the Mariners players in their correct spot, that gives me bonus points. And there you go, 30 for 30. You know, for for this mock, I've already seen like Mets fans and Dodgers fans, it's mostly Mets fans at this point, are really upset that we're not going further because they don't have a first-round pick. And it's like, at this point, I have no clue who, who the Mets would be taking 32. Come on. Yeah, they were in pretty heavy to see uh, Josh Knott the other day, but... That is a name that uh, I feel like he's been on a rocket ship lately. Yeah, the uh, but at the same time, you know, that's also somewhat local for them, so... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, I think it's a... I To me, I, I think there's some depth to this draft. Obviously, like you point out, the top five are, seem like they're a cut above... Mm-hmm. The rest where like in a given year, you know, like any of those guys could be a worthy number one overall pick. I think that's in, very accurate. Yeah. At least in a lot of years, um, you know, maybe not if there's like an Adley Rushman type player, but if and, you know, this year when you have a Dylan Cruz, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of tough to beat. But it's, it just seems like all five of these guys have that, you know, one one type type of feel or if not one one very comfortably within the top couple of picks where i mean if you're the rangers or the twins at four and five you got to feel very good that you're gonna get yeah some let let the teams in front of you make the tough decisions and like you you probably should be pretty happy with whoever falls into your lap there right i would think yeah but i think too there's also i I like the depth of this draft like i get beyond the first round and i'm like man there's still there's still a lot of players on so, this board who I really, really like. So let me throw this out at you and, and get your opinion because I feel the same way that you do about this draft class. I've said multiple times I think it's the best draft I've covered just in terms of depth, in terms of impact talent, just kind of all around. Um, I would say the last few weeks or so I've had some conversations where it's maybe thrown a little bit of cold water on that opinion. And I'm curious 
like how you take this criticism of the draft draft class as it stands currently. So it basically comes down to everyone seems to agree right now on the top five players being Dylan Cruz, and, and this is whatever order you want, but Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, uh, Wyatt Langford, Walker Jenkins, Max Clark. Like they seem very comfortably the top tier players at this point. After that, it is completely up in the air in terms of what the teams behind that range, who they're focusing on. It's a very large pool of players that everyone is running in to see because they don't really know who is going to be available to them. They don't really know how to line these guys up. Um, so that's one part of it that people are kind of like a l- being a little skeptical of the draft just because it doesn't seem like there's a clear like second tier of players that, that goes on into the third and so on and so forth. And then also like it feels like the college pitching maybe hasn't been quite as impressive as teams expected or hoped at the beginning of the year. We've got a little bit of attrition in that demographic like we always have. It's not the same as a year ago in 2022 when we just had seemingly every top pitching prospect get hurt at the college level. Um, But there is sort of this maybe a little bit of a vacuum in terms of like late first to like once you're getting into the third round, there's just not as many college arms in that range that the teams maybe hoped for. And I think those two elements, just the uncertainty after the top tier and not having as many college pitchers as teams want. Like if you don't want to like the class, I think those are the two areas that you would critique. For me, I think it's it's more just like you're always going to have this tier break for the top players. And I think there are so many good players after that that just because there isn't some consensus order, I'm not necessarily pessimistic of the class. And I think that the like crazy high school pitching depth we have kind of balances out maybe any any concerns about a lack of college pitching outside of this elite tier. Does that all make sense or track for you? I think the high school class is, I think it's way above average for a normal year. I, th- I think there's, you have the, like you said, the impact kind of guys at the top and Jenkins and and Max Clark. And and you have some good arms, obviously, too, or some really good arms at the top, too, with Noble Meyer and yeah. Thomas White. Um, and I, I think there's a depth of not just really good high school pitching, but hitters, too. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. guys who could go guys who probably will end up going in the middle to the back of the first round who you know, I I like a lot and guys who are going to be going in the third round who, who I, I like a lot. And, and there's going to be guys who I think just end up getting squeezed out mm-hmm. just because you can only spend your, you know, so much money within your bonus pool. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys will end up going to college as a result of it and some of these schools are going to be elated with some of the talent that they get so if you know you you know the height excuse me you know the college pitching better than i do just from a national perspective at at this point so i'll i'll kind of defer to you on that but i think both in terms of the high-end talent and the depth both among pitchers and position players on the high school side, I think is, is really impressive this year. Yeah. I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. I feel like even once you get beyond Noble Meyer and Thomas White, who feel like clearly the top high school pitchers in the class, what I'm hearing about Charlie Soto this spring is pretty loud and exciting. It wouldn't shock me if he wound up going higher than we expect. 
Um, Cameron Johnson at IMG Academy, the big left-handed pitcher, has really loud stuff now and just a, a funky, unusual slot. Josh Noth is a guy in the Northeast who's getting a lot of positive feedback, spins the ball really well. You've seen him a lot recently. Um, Joey Volchko is another guy who's been impressive. There, there are just a lot of high school pitchers in this like late first to third round range that I think have good stuff, have performed well this spring, have thrown strikes, have good athletic foundations. Um, so if you're willing to take the risk on that demographic, which more and more teams just haven't been willing to do, um, I think you could be rewarded for it. I mean, Paul Wilson has been great this spring, uh, another left-handed pitcher. And, and for all the criticism of the college left-handed pitching group, um, which I think is, is valid, there's just not a lot of college lefties. There are a lot of co- or high school left-handed pitchers that just have tons of upside. So if you, if you feel confident in your ability to evaluate these players or if you feel confident in your player development group, like I feel like you could take advantage of this class once you get outside of the first round. We That's not even talk about this this huge shortstop group I really like. Dylan Head is an outfielder uh, out of Illinois that's getting some buzz. He could go in the first round. I mean, he's got a lot of really exciting tools. It sounds like he's performing well. I, I, I just really like this class, and I think um, no amount of, like, college arms like a um, like a Will Sanders or like a Cade Keeler at Campbell – uh, and Will Sanders is a, a right-hander at South Carolina. Th- those are two guys, I think, other examples of, of pitchers who maybe we had in the first initially that have fallen back and haven't performed as well as teams would have liked. I feel, I still think where you're going to be able to get these players, it's good value. Um, I'm higher on John Watts-Brown at Oklahoma State, another right-handed pitcher, super athletic, really good slider than it seems like the industry as a whole is. So I like him a lot. I, I just feel like once you get outside of the top 30, more than years past, there's still a lot of names that I really like. Um, Is there, I mean, I think back to a couple years ago when the Padres drafted Jackson Merrill uh, at the back of the first round with the 27th overall pick, and that was somewhat of a a surprise mm -hmm. pick. Like, we probably thought he was going to go, you know, lower on in the draft, but the Padres, obviously, we had a lot of conviction in him and slow start this year, but obviously... Mm -hmm. Think that's still been a very good pick for them. He's in our top 100 yeah. in high A this year as a 20 year old. Is there somebody? I mean, it's you know, it sounds like we've already got just looking at your mock draft some guys who, you know, maybe we wouldn't have projected in the first round coming into the year who now look like first round picks. Or are there guys who mm-hmm. are maybe outside the consensus top 30? type players who you could see jumping into the you know maybe the back of the first rounds yeah area this year interesting one so just looking back at jackson merrill we ranked him 102 overall in 2021 he went 27th overall that year to the padres signed for 1.8 um which i think is a little under slot but i don't remember what the, the exact values were that year in that range it feels like once you get into that range, you just don't think of any of those players as first rounders. But I think the error bars for us in like projecting the first round, especially once you get into the back half are always quite a bit wider than you think they are. So there's certainly got to be a few players. Um, Adrian Santana is a guy that I think like I've even heard is getting some first round buzz. We have him at Mm. 56 overall right now. Um, George Lombard is probably the more notable Florida shortstop that, that we actually had in the mock draft. 
um, in version 2.0 of the mock that's on the site right now. We have him like in the 30s, so that one isn't isn't as big of a stretch in terms of the gap between where we have him ranked and where he could go. But I think Santana is one. We talked about Sammy Stafura. I mean, first round seems rich right now, but I think there are a lot of similarities with him and, and like Anthony Volpe when he was a high school player. And if you're seeing the tools trend up, it wouldn't shock me if someone really liked him. Maybe there's a team that, that doesn't really have a pick in the second round and you have to just go take the guy you like with your first overall pick. Or, or maybe it's a case where he gets overpaid at, at your second pick. I think he's an interesting one. Miles Naylor is not a name that I've heard a ton of heat on, on recently, but a few weeks ago he was really flying up boards. I know people really liked him. He performed well. He obviously has um, really strong bloodlines with both his brothers being in, in pro ball and at or near the major league level. So those that's another high school player that wouldn't shock me uh, if he wound up going in the first. Um, college players, like this is maybe less so now because I think he's been steadily moving up boards the whole spring. Um, but Chase Davis at Arizona, we haven't on this podcast and, and in the mock drafts talked about him as a first rounder. But if you look at his body of work and the improvement that he's shown early this spring, He's making contact at a significantly higher rate. He entered the year with some of the better exit velocities in the class. He's he's a great athlete. He's physical. He has raw power. He's got arm strength. And all of a sudden, his biggest weakness, which was just overall contact, strikeout rates, um, those are those have really been mitigated this spring. They've gone away quite a bit. His in-zone contact is impressive. He's seemingly like figured out how to hit sliders at a high rate after really struggling with that pitch type. Um, so if you like line up his tools and the performance, there's no reason why Chase Davis at Arizona, an outfielder uh, there, doesn't fit in the middle of the first round. Um, in my mind, then you've got guys like Jack Hurley at Virginia Tech has been performing, another out, another college outfielder that's got some fun tools. There's really just a lot of guys you could point to and make a case that they fit in the first round. And, and maybe just because there are so many players that fit in the first, you think, okay, well, there are not there are not enough first rounders like legitimate first rounders if you're talking about this many players but I, I just think it's I just think it's a really good class of deep talented players throughout like the top 100 and that's not always the case there there are plenty of draft years where you get to around 30 and you start to not really like the players that much yeah those guys especially those high school shortstops you mentioned all seem like they could fit that mold of like man if somebody you know, really likes them and, and you go in and you see them on the right day, especially if you're, you know, the scouting director or the assistant GM or, or the GM in some cases going in to see these guys, then yeah, I, I could see a team, you know, in the, maybe in the back of the first round pulling the trigger on one of these guys. I mean, George Lombard Jr., you mentioned, it seems like maybe already could, like, wouldn't be a surprise at this point to see mm-hmm. him in that range just based on how how much we've pushed him up the board. It just seems like a huge and steady and consistent upward trend for him over over the last 18 months or so. And, and yeah, him, Stafora just keep getting bigger, stronger, faster performance to match. And obviously, you know, super high baseball IQ with uh, Lombard Jr. His mm-hmm. dad is the uh, bench coach with the Tigers. It's... I don't know if you've had, but I don't know if you've had this, but every time I bring up, I shouldn't say every time, but several times when I've brought up George Lombard Jr., just unsolicited, 
uh, I'll have like scouts who've been doing this for probably, I mean, at this point, probably 30 plus years who said, man, you should have seen his dad back in the day. Like what an <laughs> athlete, like he ran a, I want to say like, I want to say like six, one, maybe one of them oh said they God. got him or that's like, I mean, that's like BJ and Justin Upton run times. Yeah. I mean, his dad was a phenomenal athlete and, you know, high, high round pick coming out of, um, coming out of high school and obviously has, you know, gone on to, you know, he, he might be a future manager one day. It seems like he's on that, uh, trajectory. So, uh, you can see him. And then again, like what we talked about with Jackson holidays, little brother, Ethan being the number one country, uh, number one player in the country for 2025. Uh, he's got a younger brother, uh, Jacob for 2026. Who's, uh, about already as big as he as a uh, uh, George George Jr. is right now and looks Jeez. pretty good too. So there's definitely, I mean, again whether it's there's definitely some nature in there because <laughs> they're 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 big uh, both big <laughs> kids and athletic and all that. But uh, definitely yeah, some. It helps to start with that uh, those good genes, right? Those good athletic genes. Yeah, and just having you know being around the game, growing up around the game, and good yeah. coaching from you know within your own family has got to be a, a big big plus that shows sure. at a young age. So I think this is true even outside of like on the field stuff. Like Kyle was having a podcast with his new podcast where he's talking with scouts behind the plate. Yeah, that's um, great. You guys should check that out. I was listening to one and this guy was basically just talking about how like he was, he was basically like destined to be a scout cause his dad was a scout and like just him having access to all these conversations with his father and, and other scouts in the area and just being around the game at that level from a young age even if it's not on the field, like it, it imparts a lot of wisdom to you off the field. Um, and so just being around the game at that level, even outside of the, the like athleticism for, for your on the field production, there, there's just a lot of value in that, that it's really hard to measure, but I think it's really meaningful. We'll look at rock Chalowski high school shortstop in Arizona. Who's like right on the cusp of that kind of back of the first round range yeah. too, where his dad, you know, his, his dad played scout. and is a scout now. And, you watch him play or just listen to him, you know, speak about the game and you're like, Oh yeah, this is, mm-hmm. I mean, he has great hand-eye coordination and, and a very skilled player on the field, but you can tell the, it just seems very instinctual the way he moves around the field, the angles he takes, how he like maneuvers his body. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not surprising that he grew up in a really strong baseball family. Yeah. I think two, two other guys, I mean, you mentioned Johnny Farmello as a guy, I mean, an outfielder in Virginia with size and speed and athleticism. And I, I really, I mean, the first thing I liked about him, seeing him a couple of years ago was his, his feel for hitting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you've seen him now more recently than, than I have. I mean, I saw him in the fall at uh, Jupiter. I thought he looked really good there. Yeah. He would be another guy where I could see if somebody really, you know, is into you know, which I am the, the, the physicality and athleticism and hit ability and, um, yeah. And the, the power that I think could, could come there. I mean, he hit really well at PDP last year to an event where a lot of guys were not hitting well, cause there's just a plethora of big time arms that they were throwing out there. So I could see somebody jumping on uh, a player like that, even potentially. Yeah, he, I like him in the same way that I like Stafura because he seems just really well-rounded in terms of tool set. He didn't have the greatest like performance when I saw him in person, but you could tell the swing 
was really impressive. It's fairly compact and quick and direct to the ball. Uh, it's like a line drive swing now, but I, I think I agree with you. He is big enough to where I could see him adding some strength in the future and starting to hit for more power. He showed pretty impressive raw power to straightaway center field. I thought that kind of surprised me a little bit because um, mostly it was like a, a bunch of hard hit low line drives. And then when he really unloaded on one, he sent it a good ways, moves around well in the outfield, throws well. He actually took reps at shortstop in this game. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> not not a shortstop, but... Uh, no, he moves around in the outfield pretty well. Yeah, the, the actions were, were kind of funny to watch in the infield, but it's cool to see him actually getting those reps and, and playing at different positions. Um, but he, he's a good one. There are no real holes in, in his game that I that I can speak to at this point. It just seems like a really solid, well-rounded player overall. If he doesn't get drafted this year, I could see him getting to campus at Virginia and being an absolute monster in three years. Oh, yeah. I mean, if that happens, they should be absolutely elated <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and I think that like it's hard to tell right now. I'm sure as we get closer to the draft, we'll we'll start to hear some things about signability and how tough guys are going to be to get out of these commitments. But Virginia in the past has done a really good job getting some of their top players to campus. Um, and with how wide open this class is and how deep this class is, like you said earlier, some people are just going to get squeezed out because there's not enough money to go around for for how good this high school class is. Uh, so some colleges are going to be pretty happy and. I wouldn't be too bummed if he if he did go to school and, and was at Virginia and I got to watch him over the next three years either, I don't think. So they're just a, a couple hours down the road from me. Yeah, the, the other one I could see jumping up higher than where we have him is Eric Batanti, infielder yeah. out of California, who's probably not like the typical player maybe you would associate with me (laughs) being really (laughs) high on he's i mean this he is six foot five and it's it's power over hit there is some there's definitely some swing and miss there but i don't think it's like crazy unmanageable swing and miss like i I see him manage his bats pretty well uh, but i also see him hitting for power in games it's it's now power and there's going to be you think even bigger power as he continues to fill out and then you know look i'm not saying he's a shortstop long term but i think he moves around with surprising body control and awareness at shortstop and he has a really strong arm I so remember, I, Ben, the first time I saw him, you had him listed as a shortstop on our underclass, and I, I saw his measurements, and I saw some video of him swinging, and I was like, Ben, I think you have this guy incorrectly listed as a shortstop. Like, he's like a third baseman or a first baseman, right? You're like, no. Like, he's actually, like, he plays shortstop, and he moves around pretty well, and then I saw him, and I was like, wait, he shouldn't move around this well. I, I don't think he's a shortstop, but it is kind of shocking how well he moves. I thought the same thing when I saw him in, in like, 2021, where I was like, I was like, yeah, but the, the, this guy can't be a shortstop. But then you watch him play and you're like, well, you know, long, you know, at the major league level, probably not. But, you know, yeah, and, if, if Brady House can't cut it in pro ball as a shortstop, I think I would be very surprised if Batanti did. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I wouldn't have thought Corey Seager would have been able to play shortstop. So there's there's exceptions yeah. to the rule. I would, you know, we'll see what happens. But I. If he goes to first base, I've seen him, you know, I've seen him play first base just because, you know, 
especially at these showcases where it's like, all right, we have, you know, seven different shortstops on, on a team. Somebody has to play first base. So he spends a lot of time at first base and he's not really a good. Lot of, uh, not a lot of natural second baseman going to these showcases. Yeah. So you put him over at first base and he's, I think he's a good defender over at first base. And, and if that's where he ends up that, you know, there's some possibility he does. And I think he'll be a really good defender over there, but I, I think it's huge power and he'll make enough contact to, to get to that power in games and I think what what could help push him up too is just the fact that he he doesn't turn 18 until November so he's basically the age of a 2024 high school player so he's going to he's going to model really well in teams internal draft models and and even not just from that perspective like you just have to keep in mind like when you're watching him yeah this kid is I mean he's younger than you know, I, I really like Derek Curiel, for example, uh, for 2024, a high school player. He's younger <laughs> than him, I, I if, if I remember right. Um, you know, he's he's the same age as these 2024 high school players, even though he's you know way more strong and physical <laughs> than even a lot of his uh, you know fellow 2023 classmates. Yeah, Batanti is a great call. I, I'm just looking at some of the notes we have from the industry on him. Like one of the things that was mentioned is that model teams are really going to love him because of that age, the size that he has at that age, his profile, left-handed power that he has. So I think that there are going to be some teams that are really, really in on him, and I think there could be some others that maybe either don't value age to that level or are just a little more skeptical of the hit tool. Um, will probably be on the lower end and and. There are a ton of players in this draft class that, depending on your organizational philosophy, um, just scouting preferences as individual scouts or like what you value, can really make your board look quite a bit different than someone else. There are just a lot of different profiles, a lot of different player types in this draft. Um, that makes it fun, I think, for for a casual observer. Like pretty much whatever you like, you can find it in this draft class at a pretty pretty talented. Um, player like there's there's a pretty talented guy that's probably going to have the attributes that you like um and that just makes it more more uncertain with how everything is going to fall because teams do not value players the same across the board uh, and i think that's one of the one of the beauties of baseball to be honest we'll, we'll look at xavier isaac last year right north carolina high school first baseman who you know i don't think we projected to go in the first round and the Rays took him Last year, first round, 29th overall pick. And, uh, you know, he's he's drawn a lot of walks this year. Hasn't done, a whole, I think, two extra base hits in 23 games. So hasn't done a whole bunch it's else this year. But from the 80 raw power left-handed hitting first baseman. Right. So, yeah, it's, you know, big raw power. But it's, you know, when you have maybe a, I don't know if it's fair to call him a, a split camp guy, but... I think so, just given the lack of track record for his hit tool and whether or not you value that physicality. like There are going to be teams that are just entirely out because they didn't see him perform against enough like high-quality competition and then some teams that are just more comfortable taking a risk on the tools. Yeah, I mean, to me, I would take Eric Batanti ahead of Isaac. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess you kind of play that game with a lot of different players on the board, but just thinking of two guys who are – big physical left-handed hitters who 
you know, have experience at first base. Uh, obviously, that's, you know, that, that is the position with Isaac, uh, whereas with Batanti, it's a, a secondary position and, and maybe ultimately his, his long-term home, although I think he can play. Well, at least, yeah, there's a potential there third that he, base. Can, he can play higher up the defensive spectrum, whereas with Isaac, it's kind of like he's got he's to play there in MASH. So just Yeah, like, and I think probably more, more track record with Batanti and, and yeah. an age factor in, in his favor too. Yeah, no, those are those are good ones. Um, so it'll be a fun draft. It's always a fun draft, but man, I really love this class. Um, so check out the mock draft. Um, tell me if you're you're upset or excited about the teams uh, and player pairings that I had um, in that one. And as we get closer, we'll roll out more mocks and hopefully we'll get some more uh, legitimate intel on if if certain teams are bearing down on certain players. Um, but I think if you get like eight players at this point, it's a good mock draft. So. Hoping for 10 this year, Ben. I would love to get 10 right. Yeah, it's always tough because, like, one team goes oh. some wild card we direction. We Rangers pick at the top of the draft, and it's all downhill from there. Speaking of the Rangers, actually, good segue. I had no clue they were going to take Kamar Rocker, number three overall. Then, uh, what was it, the 2020 draft when they took Evan Carter? Was that right? Yeah, because nobody okay. was seeing players. Yeah, exactly, right. no one was seeing players. Evan Carter drafted second overall or second round, fiftieth overall by the Rangers. He was like the big wow question mark um, draftee that year. And I remember it wasn't just Evan Carter that year with the Rangers. Like they're not they're a team that is not afraid at all to just kind of go off the board and, and trust their evaluations on players and just take guys they like and they don't really care what everyone else thinks which is i mean honestly you have to give credit to them because it's a risky strategy but they had a couple picks that year that people were like yeah i don't really know it was justin foskey in the first round evan carter in the second tk roby in the third um dylan mclean in the fourth and then thomas sagazi shortstop in the fifth so they went college second baseman then it was all preps evan carter high school outfielder to roby high school right-handed pitcher McLean, high school lefty, and Segezi, high school shortstop. Uh, I remember having conversations with people in the industry, like trying to uh, catch up on Evan Carter information at the time. He was not a guy we had ranked, didn't have a ton of dope on him. And I think there were only a couple teams that were really in on him. And I remember people just saying, yeah, the the Rangers kind of went off the board in this draft class. And maybe we should have expected that more, like in hindsight, with how 2020 operated. Maybe we just should have expected a few teams to have drafts that, that we view as, as really kind of all over the place. But Evan Carter is just a great example of why, even if there's a pick that's surprising on draft day, like it, it doesn't mean that the team just messed up. It just means they have different information than us. And Evan Carter has absolutely been like a home run pick for them in the second round with what he's done in pro ball right now. Yeah. We updated our top 100 and I mean, since then, I think Anthony Volpe has graduated. So he is now number 10 on our top 100. And like, just people would not have believed you if when Evan Carter was selected, you'd said in a couple of years, he's going to be a top 10 prospect in all of baseball. They wouldn't have believed it. And it's just worth like realizing that this happens. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, it's potentially five tools that could all be average to to plus across the board with outstanding strike zone judgment too i mean you have a center fielder looks like he's you know going to stick in center field 
He runs well. He has a really impressive track record of hitting, getting on base. It's it's a really efficient, fluid swing, good path to the ball, a lot of contact, patient approach, draws walks, uh, on base percentage for his career over 400 this year in double A as a 20 year old over 400. I guess the one question is just how much power is he going to have? But even then it's not part of this year, right? Yeah. It's not like he's a slap hitter either. It's just like, okay, is he going to have average power or I mean, could he get to plus Mm -hmm. power? Like, could he be, you know, a 25 plus or or maybe 30 plus home run guy? I mean, that would be really (laughs) impressive. Obviously if he's able to do that, I don't think it's, out of the question, although it's, you know, that it, it is more of a on base over power shape to his offensive game right now. But again, there's still more room for him to fill out and he's still just 20 years old. He's already in double a, like, I, I think there's more power coming to go with a really good base of a offensive foundation as a as a hitter and with the swing decisions that he's making yeah evan carter right now feels like the player that we kind of hoped and and thought robert hassel might be his like Mm. he was selected just this like very well-rounded polished hitter center field profile good on base skills good pure hitting ability like he's never walked at a rate lower than 13 percent in his pro career which seems crazy he's currently walking at a 20 percent rate he's walking more than he's striking out uh, like the fact that he's hitting the ball harder than he did a year ago is encouraging because like you said the only real question mark the only real hole that you could poke in his game was like oh, he wasn't hitting for a ton of power I don't know what the body looks like currently but at, at the time he was drafted and early on in his pro career it was like definitely a very projectable frame that you could see feeling out and adding good strength I wonder if it's just a case of him just getting to his getting closer to his physical maturity I mean he's still only 20 years old um and it's been impressive to see what he's done really every year in Pro Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it'd be hard to, you know, argue. I mean, there's, you know, a few guys below him who, you know, you can make certainly a case for them to be top 10 prospects with, you know, a Marcelo Meyer or, you know, what Gavin Williams is doing right now. If you want to be more aggressive with pitchers or, um, you know, you can make a case for some guys below him, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, be hard to make a case for him to be too much further below the top 10. And and if he keeps this up all season, and especially if he starts showing some more power, I mean, we're going to have some graduations with Francisco Alvarez and, you know, Grayson Rodriguez and hopefully Jordan Walker at some point yeah. by the end of the season. And talking about a top seven guy in the game. I mean, yeah, it might be top five. Like there's not a clear cut even number one guy mm-hmm. right now. I mean, we're even talking about where Jeff Dylan has Cruz. a story. Yeah, Jeff has a story out today talking about Dylan Cruz and where he's going to rank. We talked about that before on the podcast. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dylan Cruz versus Evan Carter is a good question. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, I, don't, I don't think that the top 100 currently is like a very strong top 100 overall just because we've had so many graduations. I think it's probably a little below average. But even, I think any year when you're a top 10 prospect, it speaks to your talent. And especially given like Carter's background and the uncertainty within the industry that he had when he was selected um, is awesome. 
to see. I mean, I remember when we were going through our update, just listening to you guys talk about the prospects, who's moving up and down. Like once we got to James Wood and it was like, okay, what outfielder next? Like, like the fact that Evan Carter was like, you could make a case for him. I mean, potentially you can make a case for him being above James Wood just with positional value and pure hitting ability. Like I still would lean with James Wood just because he's got that impact and I'm, I'm still betting on him getting to it. But once we got into that range and you're looking around for who's next up, like Carter has a pretty compelling case compared to guys like, like you're saying, Marcella Meyer, Jordan Lawler, Brett Beatty, like B. Crow Armstrong. It's, it's pretty impressive what he's been able to do. Yeah. It's going to go down as one of the better, one of the better picks. Yeah. Especially in recent years, especially considering the context, considering, the situation like you brought up James Wood I mean that was obviously a really good draft pick by the Padres outside of the first round Mm -hmm. but James Wood was also you know everybody knew James Wood right it was yeah he he was a polarizing player and again it was a good pick by the Padres yeah but it wasn't like oh here's this kind of under the radar guy yeah Carter (laughs) Carter wasn't even really on the showcase circuit the year before so even if even if he did get a full spring he still would have been in that Xavier Isaac mold where people didn't really get to see him against great competition. I don't know how many like high profile events he was at, but he, he really was not on many of them or at many of those events. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like a guy, a guy this year's draft who could kind of fit that mold or, or that kind him. of <laughs> profile. I mean, I guess like Walker Martin maybe would be like, I don't know. Walker Martin was at area code games. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like the year before he didn't really do. Yeah. He didn't do too much like national type stuff. I don't think there's too much. Like there's not that much downside for you to not play in these national events. Like I know um, when Khalil Watson was uh, being drafted, one of the things that, that his dad had told him was like, they're not going to pay for him to go to all these events throughout their high school career. But he, he, he realized like, the entering June entering your senior year the summer prior to your senior year like that one was important like they made a point to get him at these national events the year before his his draft year and I think that's really a pretty savvy way to go about it if you are playing multiple sports or you just don't want to pay to go to all these events your entire high school career like just getting out your your platform year is is important um it's obviously nice if if you're at a lot of events and teams have a long history but like Walker Martin would I think he definitely showed what he can do and kind of establish himself even without going to a ton of underclass events. Yeah, maybe like Cam Koziel, the shortstop out of Nebraska, Vanderbilt commit. Like, did he do a lot of... He barely did anything as an underclassman. And then he, no, I know he was he, at PDP. He didn't, he didn't play in a ton of summer events uh, either, I don't think. So that maybe that's a good one. But yeah. Like, did, Carter, we didn't, we didn't really have him on the radar. I think I had like one line about like he had been kind of impressive um good athlete solid power solid arm strength that's like all i had on him at the time yeah i guess it's a tough question to ask now because if there's somebody who's like way off the radar who we don't know about like what are we gonna yeah yeah. like asking we're like trying to like prove a negative here it's gonna be impossible to do so yeah carlos who's the best player you don't know about (laughs) (laughs) yeah that would be uh that would be a tricky one yeah, I mean, well, it gets it gets a little easier when they actually play high school baseball in the spring as opposed to 2020. So, hopefully, you would you would hope that's the case. And I mean, even last year, the Rangers' surprise pick of Kamar Rocker, he's looked pretty good. And I mean, he's only in high A right now, and he's 23 years old. But 
he's pitched well so far. So the risk risk averse Rangers, a uh, few interesting picks in recent years. Yeah, Jack Leiter, more consensus. Not so great. Yeah, not so right great. Now. Not so great. I, you know, I, I don't know if it was during his draft year, or right after his pro debut. It actually might have been throughout college because Jack Leiter was always pegged as this like really polished touch and feel pitcher. I think this started in his high school days because he was really advanced in high school, and he's got um, his father was a, a big league pitcher. So there's just a lot of things that that scouts liked about the fact that he knew how to prep for things. He knew what the major league schedule was like, but. I mean, Kamar Rocker always had a better walk rate than him at Vanderbilt, and now Jack Leiter has continued to just not throw strikes at a high rate, even outside of, like, maybe pitch shapes backing up a little bit or the curveball being more effective in college than pro ball. Like, he really just hasn't ever thrown strikes as, as good as you would have expected him to, given his reputation as this pitchability guy that, that maybe that label stuck on him longer than it should have. Yeah, 519 ERA this year as a 23-year-old in AA, 5.9 walks per nine, Five and a half last year, also yeah. five plus like, ERA, repeating the double A. Do you have his career college walk rate? Because Kumar Rockers is two point six. And granted, like Kumar Rocker got a ton of strikeouts because people were chasing pitches out of the zone. So I'm not trying to use this as a proxy for command by any means, but I, I think I think Kumar Rockers either Kumar Rockers control was always critiqued too heavily or Jack Leiter's was not critiqued heavily enough. Because I think at the time when they were both in college, Jack Leiter was viewed as like the, the better pitcher, and Kamara was like, "Oh, he has the better stuff." Yeah, Leiter was his his draft year was three point seven per nine career, three point eight. I mean, he didn't really pitch obviously much in twenty twenty. So yeah, Kamara's was two point six per nine for his college career. Hmm. So it's like a it's like a I don't know, pretty significantly better. But anyways. But yeah, that uh, that's going to go down as one of the better picks, I think. Mm-hmm. For... Is he the biggest mover on our top 100 update, or the most notable mover, I should say? Are there any other guys who, who are notable for the movement they had on, on that update? Probably the—I mean, he didn't jump the most spots just because we had him ranked pretty high in the 20s, I think it was, coming into the season. But yeah, him—I mean, him and Jackson Holiday, it seems like— probably the most consistent feedback of like these guys these guys are ranked high and they need to be ranked higher yeah like both I, guys I, where it's just like like you know especially the the higher up they are or the better we think they are the more we're going to try to nitpick and poke holes in their game and those absolutely. are just two guys where they're just extremely well-rounded players with tools skills athleticism premium position hitting ability like there's not too many holes you can poke in either of their games right now yeah i think jackson holiday he will keep getting up arrow feedback until he's like top three in the game and maybe and not until he's like the number one prospect in baseball at this rate it seems like he's just been riding a rocket ship since like february of his high school senior season yeah it's like you said, he could be the number one prospect in baseball by, not by, but maybe before I mean, the end of the season. looking at all the names in front of him and the people who are going to graduate, like depending on what Chorio does this year, it wouldn't. It, it's not. It's not a tough ask at this point at all, really. Like it's just like, what does Chorio do? Who graduates in front of him? How does he finish the year? Like where do we put Dylan Cruz when he comes on this list? Because I think he'd, he'd solidly be in this conversation as well. 
Um, but yeah, he's he's just been tremendous. He's got the tools. It's a left-handed shortstop. He's got the position. He's got the bloodlines. He's performing a pro ball. He's advanced quickly as a young player. Like, I mean, we're waiting. We're waiting for him to hit the first roadblock. I guess he hasn't hit it yet. Yeah, he had a roadblock the like during the summer of his showcase season in the sense that he was swinging and missing a little too much and trying to hit for power. And then since then it's been nothing but positive reviews. Yeah. I think probably the, probably one of the biggest jumps was Tanner Bybee, the guardians. I mean, 50 spot jump 78 to 28. One of the better pitching prospects in the game at this point. What are we like? Ben? (laughs) Everything right now. I mean, (laughs) it's guardians. He's guardians pitchers. That's what we like. Yeah, I mean, they take these guys who are not, I mean, they're not nobody, but they they take these good arms and develop them into great arms. And it just seems like he's he's the latest with them. I mean, upper 90s, fastball with life, and he's, he's throwing strikes. There's, yeah, I mean, he seems like he'd be mid-rotation starter, uh, and that might be a conservative projection with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listen to this the draft report. So he was a fifth rounder in 2021. Um, his ranking for that draft class isn't loading right now, but um, we basically said uh, teams viewed him somewhere in the middle of the top 10 rounds, so we didn't have him juiced up by any means. Um, basically said he goes after hitters with a solid three-pitch mix, sits 90-93, touches 95, has above-average slider that's a strikeout pitch, changeup is a usable third offering, he has excellent fastball command and throws both of his secondaries over the plate, but none of his offerings miss an overwhelming number of bats. He relies on staying off the barrel, drawing weak contact, and keeping hitters on the defensive. He doesn't have a particularly high ceiling, but his ability to fill the strike zone with three pitches has teams interested in the middle of the top 10 rounds. Well, Cleveland took him in the middle of the top 10 rounds, signed him for $260,000, and immediately improved that ceiling. He certainly has a high ceiling now. He has much better stuff, and it's kind of that tried-and-true Cleveland approach, take a good strike thrower, improve the stuff, and voila, you've got a mid-rotation starter to plug into the big leagues. Yeah, it's, I mean, them, the Dodgers, the Rays, when it comes to pitching, it's just like they, they just keep churning out these monsters and and turning guys who are like you said you know a fifth round pick good arm people like him and now he's you know he's somebody who's one of the top uh i think he's probably the top 10 pitching prospect in baseball right now Mm -hmm. let's see who else was a big mover you know there's a big big mover a little further down the list that took a huge jump up um Junior Caminero with the Rays. I don't think we've talked about him too much on this podcast, but I'm curious what's what's all the rage about Caminero at this point. He's he's been really impressive. One of the one of the better younger players in the minors at this point. Yeah, a lot of bat speed, a lot of power, continues to put up a pretty impressive track record for a young hitter and now doing it up through high A. Uh, very aggressive but not out of control. There's there's definitely feel for hitting in there to go with the bat speed, to go with the power, and the feedback on him continues to be really strong from pro scouts who are seeing him. It's, it's plus power. Um, could be more than that. I mean, he's still so young. He has so much bat speed in there. Uh, originally a Guardian's 
international signing out of the Dominican Republic, not for a lot of money. Um, Rays kind of stole him from them. Um, Guardians have signed a lot of good international players in recent years, and I'm sure they wish they had <laughs> one back because he, yeah, I mean, he's I think looking. You could probably find a player for every single team that they wish they could have take back, take back their a trade that they sent him away in, right? Well, from I they're going to say with the Rays. <laughs> <laughs> or pro- yeah, that, that just, probably is also ju- true. Just, sure just trades from the have, Rays. I'm sure maybe the Rays have one trade they regret, and then every other team in baseball has a trade with the Rays they regret. That probably tracks. Yeah, yeah, they see a Curtis Mead, or I mean, they just keep taking these guys from other clubs. And the Chris Archer trade was just insane. That's that's going to be one of the one of the more notable ones for a long time. I feel like. Oh yeah, that's an all time lopsided trade. Yeah. Um, there's another team that, that has had a few lopsided trades. The Shelby Miller trade was an interesting one. Braves and D-backs a while back. That's another team that has a great track record of, of pitching development. That's the Braves. Um, this player isn't on the top 100 right now, but I was excited to see that he's performing well because I did put him um, near the very top of their system. And that's A.J. Smith-Shauver, um, who was a seventh-round high school pitcher drafted in 2021 by the Braves out of Colleyville, Texas. Um, he has advanced to double A so far this spring, and it sounds like he's been really good. Uh, it sounds like he's close to kind of getting in contention for the list and just has dominant stuff. I mean, it's a fastball and a slider that are potentially both 70-grade pitches. Fastball's been in, into the upper 90s with great carry, um, great life on the pitch, um, like running life. He's had cutting life on the pitch as well. Uh, it sounds like the, the changeup might have improved too, which I, I didn't necessarily expect. I kind of just expected them to keep having him throw that fastball and slider and, and dominate hitters and improve the control. But uh, the control does look a little bit better this year. It's 25 strikeouts to just six walks in his first 16 innings this year. And it's just a ton of upside for the Braves and a system that really doesn't have a lot that you can kind of like write down in pen for, for future big leaguers for their system. It's just a lot of young players, a lot of pitching. Um, it's just a long way to go for that system at this point, but that's one that that looks pretty dominant. And I'm curious to know if like they have made improvements with his delivery, refine that a bit, or it's just like the athlete is, is figuring out how to put the ball over the plate and just let his stuff work. Uh, that, that tends to be their philosophy in Atlanta. And so far it's, Looks like it's been pretty good for him. Are there any other players who are not on the 100 who are close to 100 status or back-end guys that you're intrigued with, Ben? Um, I t- You know what? There's one guy we put on who I'm not totally sold on yet is Heston Kerstad. Oh, interesting. He, so he was going to be another player I mentioned because I think Heston is another guy who like Evan Carter was an unorthodox draft pick and in a very different way, but he went number two overall in a year where I was just completely sold that Austin Martin and Spencer Torkelson were the top two. And I liked Austin Martin the best. And I was like, Oh, like they really messed up not taking him. Uh, it looks pretty good for them right now. Well, I mean, I don't know. So he's one where we, we put him on the top 100. It's tough, right? Because he's had so many just, things uh, i'd say basically outside of baseball you know he had myocarditis uh you know during the that 2020 season when he was drafted and it just seemed like it 
you know, didn't play in 2021. Seems like it set him back so much. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much weight to put into that. Like he's 24 years old in double A, which is a little bit older than you'd like to see, ideally. Definitely for, for a that level. I mean, we're just talking about Evan Carter being 20 years old. And he's, yeah. he's certainly young for the level, but it's a four year gap there. At the same time, it's understandable. Like there are extenuating circumstances for why he's still yeah in double like, A. Would you feel you would feel? I would imagine you would feel significantly worse if he was there because he had failed previously or had to repeat the level or like he basically just had a lot of off the field stuff, missed seasons, and that delayed his his ability to just play baseball. Yeah, yeah, didn't play in 2021, limited playing time in 2022, so it's understandable why he's why he's there. You know, at the same time, you can't turn back the clock like he's basically going to be in his mid-20s, almost right into his prime years by the time he gets to the major leagues, and it's it's only been a month in double-A. He's been good, you know, in a I'd say pretty good offensive environment to hit into. And there's not a lot of defensive value that he's bringing to the table and getting some, you know, more likelihood that he's seeing some time at first base too long-term. So like I'm, I'm definitely encouraged by what he's doing and I, I like to see that, but, for him to be a top 100 prospect right now again like his status is certainly up from where it was coming into the year but i'm just not quite sold running him into the top 100 at this point yeah that seems fair i mean he does strike out a decent bit i I just like the fact that he hits the ball really hard he seems like he consistently uh, hits for power wherever he's been i know that's a big reason why Baltimore liked him in the first pit, first place, just getting a big power source from the left side of the plate. He's done that. Um, I'm tempted to give him basically a, a free pass entirely for his age and level. Uh, I guess you'd like to see him pushed aggressively and continue to hit to, to really make you feel convicted and in the fact that it's really nothing of his own making that he's kind of at that age and level. Um, but looking at the 2020 draft, I'm curious how many players you would take over cursed at at this point let me just go through the the first 15 or 20 picks or so because it's not looking like a great draft at this point so you've got basically just tell me like i guess as quick as you want to decide whether or not you would take cursed at over this player spencer torkelson was first overall right now yeah probably still would okay so cursed was second max meyer was third uh. <laughs> Mm. yeah i don't know when meyer was healthy but he's not <laughs> yeah okay we'll go to the next one royals at number four took left-hander asa lacy no no <laughs> uh blue jays took uh shorts up austin martin out of vanderbilt who at the time i said was the best pick in the draft <laughs> no he's he's not looking very okay very mariners, right mariners took georgia right-hander emerson hancock No. Okay, Pir- Pirates took New Mexico State shortstop Nick Gonzalez. Uh, kind of go either way on that one. Okay. Padres took high school outfielder Robert Hassel. 
Yeah, I'd rather have Hassel. Okay. Rockies took uh, high school outfitter Zach Veen. Veen, yeah, take Veen. Okay. Angels took Louisville left-hander Reed Detmers. Yeah, yeah, Reed Detmers. Okay. White Sox took Tennessee left-hander Garrett Crochet. Crochet, huh? Uh... (laughs) (laughs) See... I think he's hurt right now. Or he's yeah, is he going to pitch? Okay. <laughs> I think he's coming back at some point soon. Um, uh, at 12, the Reds took high school outfielder Austin Hendrick. Yeah, I would take Kerstad on. All right, we'll do, two, we'll do three more to one. get the top 15 because uh, I'm sure this is great audio for the listeners. Uh, but the Giants at 13 took North Carolina State catcher Patrick Bailey. I'll take Kerstad on that one. Okay, the Rangers took Mississippi State second baseman Justin Foscue. Hmm. I might take Foscue. All right, and to round it out, actually, we'll go two more just because the, the second one will be fun. Uh, at 15, the Phillies took high school right-hander Mick Abel. Oh, Mick Abel. Okay, and then at 16, the Cubs took local kid high school shortstop Ed Howard. Yeah, curse that on that one. Okay. Uh, so does the 2020 draft look worse than you thought it did, or is it about what you expected? Like, I feel like it's getting a reputation as not a great draft at the top, at least, uh, like, like how the players have gone. Well, the I mean, the co- that's certainly the top college players have been very underwhelming. Yeah. But then you get deeper and you have Pete Crow Armstrong, Jordan Walker, Tyler Soderstrom, Bobby the 20s Miller. Look, the 20s look good. Yeah. I mean, if you get like, you know, Jordan Westberg, Drew Romo's in our top 100, um, Evan Carter, obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> looks good. I think that was the Tink Henson, Mason Wynn year. So there's good players it's just you look at the top 10 picks yeah. in particular the college guys where you know who knows like if they had had a full season maybe would have seen more holes from austin martin or um you know some of these yeah. you know asa lacy some of these other guys who ended up going super high in the drafts that uh, have been underwhelming so far also, don't forget fourth rounder Spencer Strider, fifth rounder Brandon Fott. Pretty good ones in the uh, last two rounds that year. The, the 2020 draft will just always be such a crazy, weird draft to look back on and and think about and analyze. E- even when you're just looking through like the data of the drafts, it's so jarring when you're you're scrolling through draft history and it's these long rounds, and then you get to 2020 is five rounds. It's just so weird. It's always going to remind me of just such a terrible time with COVID. Yeah. Was there anybody who moved down that maybe you're not quite as down on? I mean, for me, the one would be Noel V. Marte, the mm. Reds infielder who, I mean, if you want to say like, oh, you know, he's getting bigger now and doesn't look so much like a shortstop, I I guess, but I never really thought of him as a shortstop mm-hmm. long term. Like you know, some chance he could play it, but more than likely would be a third baseman, a power hitting third baseman with the defensive tools that fit well at third base. And I don't know, I see a guy hitting right now two eighty four, three fifty eight, four eighty six through. 123 plate appearances as a 21 year old where they're using the super carry ball <laughs> in the Southern league in double a, I, I still think he's the same 
guy is last year. So, I mean, we still have him in the top 100. It's not like we're mm. burying no LV Marte, but he's somebody who I, I probably like more than the maybe the internal consensus of, of where we have him. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go with one. Jet Williams moved down two spots. That's just an absolute <laughs> that's, that's a shame and a crime. He should be much closer to Cole Young than he is. No, I'm sure Jet Williams moved down just because players around him moved. I don't think there's any intention to to slide him down. I, I will take it in a different direction, though, and, and pick a guy that we moved down that I, I would move down even further and maybe entirely out of the top 100, and that's uh, Sedan Rafaela. Like, I'm just terrified of this player profile. I talked about it on, on a podcast today with Peter just talking about like defensive first bat question mark center fielders and the fact that guys like Victor Robles and Christian Pache uh, have burned me before. I just don't really buy it that much. I mean, he's 22 right now in double a he's hitting 245, 273, 340. I didn't really come into the year liking him as an offensive player Nothing that he's done so far this spring has given me any encouragement. He's struck out 28 times to just four walks. I just have no interest in this profile, and I probably wouldn't have him in a top 100 if it was my list. Um, but that's just me being scarred from the past um, as well. I, I just don't. I just don't have any conviction in the offense here. I mean, am I wrong on this one, Ben? He, yeah, I think for you know, for a guy who signed for. 10 grand out of Curacao, obviously a good signing for the Red Sox, but at the same time, yeah, I think I've kind of expressed that concern on him since last year when we started to put him into the top 100 is like the, he does hit the ball hard. Uh, you know, you can see it in the power numbers. They hit the ball hard too, though. Yeah. It's the, it's the approach that really concerns me. And yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to play. Yeah, I had him. I had him one third. I just sorry. I just pulled up my preseason top 100. I had him 113 on my list, so I didn't have him in the top 100 to start. We moved him down in ours, so he would he would just be like not really in consideration at this point for me. Yeah, definitely a rough start to the year for him. I mean, it's Portland's Maine in April. Uh, for much of the season and it's has been especially cold I think up here so maybe there's something to that but um, yeah I probably again he's you know somewhere in the probably the 100s range for me as a global in the like one 125 to 175 ish range probably just kind of like thinking out loud right here probably yeah I mean I think there's still things that you like but yeah, to me, he'd be. I'm with you on that. Him being just outside that yeah. top 100 group right now. The chase and the miss is just terrifying. The end zone miss. He does hit the ball hard, but I just don't think he's going to make enough contact. So, we'll see. Uh, any other guys? Any other movers? I mean, Daniel Espino now with you know another injury, shoulder surgery, like. <laughs> I, yeah, terrifying. We still have him in the back of the top 100. Like when he's healthy, he looks phenomenal. It is, or at least when he last did pitch, it was one of the best fastballs in the minors. And we talk about all the Guardians 
pitching development success stories and uh, I mean hopefully he can stay healthy but when we're you know before when it was like oh it's the knee but it's not a at least it's not an elbow or a shoulder but no now it's <laughs> now it's the shoulder and it's yeah. shoulder surgery and he's going to miss at least a year and he didn't pitch too much last year either and you just can't feel comfortable about the durability with him and with a shoulder surgery in particular i'm especially wary so to me i would not have him in my top 100 right now i'm just more averse on pitchers in general and when you add shoulder surgery and a track record of you know multiple injuries with a player that are you know going to keep him off the field for mm-hmm. basically two years now that starts to really add up and terrify me yeah just with you talking about how you're more <clears throat> more averse to pitchers in general i'm curious how many players like if you're drafting this year how many players you would take before you picked paul Skeens? Hmm. I mean, he's different. Like <laughs> he is, but he's still pitcher, and he get hurt at any point, just like all the other ones. Yeah, it's tough because I, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, what's not to like about or to love about Dylan Cruz, and then I'm mm-hmm. just so high on Walker Jenkins and Max Clark, and I know how much you love Wyatt Langford too. Where it's like he has a really good skill set and just not maybe the same level of fame mm-hmm. <laughs> as Dylan Cruz. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I would take, I would take Skeens over Wyatt Langford. Um, I don't know. I, I, I would go back and forth between Skeens and Jenkins and Clark. Cause you know how much I love Jenkins and Clark, but I mean, Skeens yeah. is just, he just seems different than these other college pitchers we've seen go mm-hmm. high and recently like he's not max meyer who went what third overall like he's not asa lacy no, different, completely different tiers of those guys yeah i mean this is somebody who i mean when you he's he's not going to pitch after he signs he's like a he better could, tier than casey mize who was like clearly the number one player in 2018 as a pitcher which was tough yeah it just so happens he's draft year as his teammate Dylan Cruz who's also having a monster monster year so you know he's not going to pitch after he signs I'm sure they're just going to shut him down whoever drafts him and Mm -hmm. you know I don't know maybe he pitches in the fall league or something although I I probably doubt that too but um, like right away out of the gate next year I'm I'm assuming he's going right to double A it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up I mean, he'll probably be on a bad team, so maybe not. Yeah, my but... dream scenario is something, just some some way, somehow, he gets to four or five for the Rangers and Twins, and like yeah, they that's have true. competitive teams. It, it just feels... Or the Pirates. <laughs> yeah, the Pirates are in first place. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll let them keep winning. But my dream scenario is that he's with a competitive team, and we get to see like how fast he can be tracked. Because like, if you're competing and you have Paul Skeens... I don't want to waste his bullets in the minor leagues if I think he's ready. Bring him up now. Let's go. Do you think that makes him trying to build a rotation? Do you think that makes him more compelling to? I mean, I don't know how the sustainable this is for the Pirates, but do you think it makes it more appealing either to them or to a team like the Rangers or Twins to try to float? Here's what's interesting: gigantic 
bonus at him to try to get him up potentially think, even for a playoff run this year? I think you could look at it a couple of ways because I do think the teams are competing right now. Like the fact that we're even talking about Paul Skeens basically needing to warm up in double A before he's ready for the big leagues is is crazy. And I think that's like a legitimate timetable for him. Like it wouldn't be surprising if he was only in double A for a couple months and was brought up. But you could make a case that because of because of that, like it doesn't make sense for a Nationals or a Pirates or maybe even a Tigers team. Um, who are kind of like in the middle of their rebuilds, don't anticipate being competitive for a few years, it makes more sense to go for one of the hitters who are probably going to take a more typical path to the majors, give you a few more years to build up some talent around them. Um, And then once a Cruz or a Langford or even a Jenkins or a Clark, once those guys are like in the majors, you feel like hopefully you've built up a really strong core around them. At the same time, You've seen the Rangers go out on the free agent market and pick up these front of the rotation arms. Are the Pirates able or willing to do that in the, in the free agent market to get a pitcher like that? Like how valuable to them is a guy like Paul Skeens who could be a homegrown and so very affordable front of the rotation arm? I think front of the rotation pitchers is probably one of the hottest commodities in baseball and one of the most expensive commodities in baseball. I mean, just look at some of the contracts we've seen, some of the elite pitchers, and and even some of the pitchers that you think of as maybe just like solid average. If you're getting those arms on the free agent market, it's costing you quite a bit. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all if there are teams like the Pirates who are like, you know what, like we're not competing to get these guys in the free agent market. If we want them, we have to develop them on our own. Paul Skeens is one of the best pitching prospects we've seen in years since Steven Strasburg why aren't we taking this guy right now? We we have other hitters in our system that we feel good about, like Henry Davis, who just took him number one overall. Like we got Termar Johnson. We really believe in his bat. Like we can build up some of the hitters around him, but it's just really rare to be able to access talent like Paul Skeens and to have that talent at a really affordable rate for six years. So I, I could see it being thought of both ways. For me, I'd probably lean towards the safety of a hitter, um, but I wouldn't fault anyone who, who thought the other way. What do you think? Well, do you think he could come up and pitch potentially in the big leagues this year? I mean, you mentioned Garrett Crochet earlier from that 2020 draft. He came up and pitched in the big leagues that season, and he didn't even have a college season practically that year. Chris Sale did it his draft year. White Sox brought him up. He was really good out of the bullpen during, during his draft year which mm-hmm. is like way longer ago as I'm like <laughs> thinking about when he was drafted than it was yeah, were they when I was thinking that, about that. Were they competitive that year? I'm assuming they were. In my head, I was like, oh, that was just like a few years. <laughs> oh, wait, no, 2010 was not five years You're, you're just reminded of your own mortality, Ben. Congrats. Yeah. No, yeah, they were Yeah, second place in the AL Central yeah, that year. It seems year. like, and maybe it's changing, it seems like there are some incentives in baseball now for teams to push their, their players, but I still feel like, if you're not competitive, you really don't want to start the clocks on a lot of these guys. 
Um, so I really feel like it just more depends on the competitive environment more so than like, is the player himself actually ready? Yeah, no, I mean, if the Nationals draft Paul Skeens, like they're not going to bring him up and pitch like garbage yeah. innings <laughs> for them down the stretch to like w- reduce their chances potentially <laughs> of getting a higher draft pick yeah. next year. Or even so that's like, yeah, like starting his clock and like putting him maybe maybe there's a concern that like you don't want to hurt his development if you put him in there too early. Like there's no incentive like seemingly there is with the Angels to like be really good right now. So th- there could be a lot of factors that like push you away from being aggressive with this timeline. Yeah, but if you're, you know, if you're the Rangers and you get him or the Pirates draft him and they're still like, in yeah. contention, like I don't know, I don't think it hurts his development to put him in the big leagues at the, you know, in the in the tail end of the season and have him mm-hmm you know just pitch out of the bullpen there like it didn't seem to oh i wanted ha- the phillies to do that with andrew painter last year yeah i mean it didn't seem to hamper chris sales development i mean there's other guy like johan santana back in the mm-hmm. day i think was starting his career in in the bullpen and they you know turned him into a or brought him back into a starting role and i you know i don't think i would advocate although again like even just bullpen i'm not even saying he needs to just be in a bullpen role like potentially you could have him start i mean Look, Yuri Perez is is coming up right I now. Gonna, I was going to bring him up. He's debuting tomorrow. He's going to be the youngest uh, Marlins pitcher either since. I think he might even be younger than Jose Fernandez was when he debuted. Yeah, he's 20 years old. Skeens is 21. I mean, yeah, we've seen Yuri Perez prove it at a higher level, but I think it's debatable which one you would rather have or which one is even more talented right now. And, and I would probably take Yuri Perez, but... Skeens, like if you put him in Double A tomorrow, I have very little doubt that he would dominate yeah. right away. So, I I don't think it's unreasonable that if a contending team takes him, that we could that we might see him in the big leagues by the end of the year. No, I don't think so at all. I think it uh, the only X factor is like is he on a team that's a contender or is he not? That's pretty much the the only thing. And Skeens is already a year older than Yuri Perez is right now, which seems crazy. So. Yeah, it's uh, no, he's a different, like we were saying, just a different level of talent than <laughs> the typical, even the typical top of the college <clears throat> group of arms that we're seeing in the draft. Yeah, this is why it's my dream scenario, just like surely to see, purely to see like how quickly he can go. I want him to be drafted to, and I guess it doesn't have to be necessarily the Rangers or the Twins, just a team that is competitive. And I just, I just don't expect the Pirates, Nationals, or Tigers to be competitive. So, you're out on the Pirates, huh? Uh, I mean, they have a positive run differential. They they look solid. The, the Cardinals are terrible. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Those wins are. You can't take away the wins they have right yeah, now. Real. So I, mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on them to be in first place in a month. But you know, crazier things have happened. I guess. Yeah, I mean, they don't have to play too much better than. 500 baseball the rest of the way just to be in that wild card territory yeah well when you expand the postseason i guess that happens right yeah and when the like you said when the cardinals are Man, they're <laughs> that's, bad. that's is that the most that has to be the most surprising 100%. bad team like, i would imagine year. everyone on our staff picked them to either be first or second in their division this year in our crystal ball series and they currently have like the third best record in baseball and negative 21 run differential like i don't understand why matthew libertor is not pitching on this big league team right now <laughs> what's what's the hold up yeah that's 
man, that's they've just been so bad. Like, it's probably, I, I mean, is it more surprising them or or what the Pirates <laughs> or maybe what the Rangers are doing right now? I think just how bad the Cardinals have been is the biggest surprise to me. I, I can't believe that they're like, <laughs> What's the case for the down Rangers? there with the you Royals? Didn't expect them to be that good. I mean, I didn't expect them to have this sort of run differential, but them being in first place isn't shocking. I guess I, w- I wouldn't have expected it, but I think you thought I they'd think, be better than the Astros. I, I'm not shocked that they are. I think I think the Pirates and the Cardinals is more surprising. I guess is how I'd say. No, yeah, I, I definitely I, ex- I expected the Astros to be first, but I expected the Rangers to also be competitive and a playoff team. Yeah, I guess maybe I just wasn't quite as high on the Rangers, but yeah, I would still say the Cardinals just being, I mean, being in last place, being below, being below the Reds right now, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, this is uh, everything just seems to be breaking <laughs> over there right now. Yeah, I don't fully understand it, but I don't know what. I'm curious, like if what their playoff odds at this point even are and like what how they would need to play the rest of the way to get in like it's still pretty i don't know is it is it early it's still early in the season we got it would be fun though to have the cardinals picking in the top five picks potentially in the draft just to change things up from you know the orioles and this is why i was excited i was excited just to see the dodgers picking in the early 20s until their pick dropped 10 spots because when they went out in the playoffs early that moved their pickup under the new rules. And I was like, oh, it's, it's going to be really cool to see the Dodgers like get access to something better than like the 28th best talent in the class for the first time in my life. So, I, yeah, I would be on board with the Cardinals picking high up. You don't see them picking high often. Yeah, yeah, no more. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll have the Royals and, <laughs> and the A's up there again. Man, can you imagine the A's getting like, again, getting robbed in the draft lottery after everything they've dealt with like they they already lost in the draft lottery the first year had i mean along with the other two teams they were tied for best odds for the number one pick and they're picking um six or seven uh i think it's six right yeah six imagine they have the worst record in baseball and also like are not picking in the top five next year that would be terrible although i think this year it's more impactful because next year's class doesn't seem quite as good yeah well like we said before and their owner also gets to save a few million bucks, not spending as much money oh, on draft picks. Huge, so. huge win, actually. Yeah. yeah. Good job. <laughs> well, maybe he can have the taxpayers pay for the salaries for. Gonna have the the city pay for our our draft bonuses. Yeah, that, that's a good new model. We should we need it. we need our draft bonus pool <laughs> subsidized. <laughs> oh man, Ben, that's all I had today. You have anything else you want to talk about? Um, yeah, I mean, we talked, uh, earlier about some of the, the international reviews. So, um, yeah, it's always, it's always interesting to get the updated reports, I think, especially on pitchers mm-hmm. because it's so, I mean, it's so tough with international pitching prospects because the process moves so fast where teams are making decisions on players when they're 13, 14 years old. And it's like, I mean, it's hard enough on position players, but there's just so much risk. I mean, we were just talking about risk of like, you know, <laughs> with Paul Skeens, like 
one of the best <laughs> pitching prospects we've seen in the draft who's 21 years old and you know the risk on him even as a pitching prospect and then running through like you know Daniel Espino's injury and all these other guys who get hurt and there's so much attrition with pitchers and then with you know talking about pitchers who are even 15 16 years old you know there's so much projection that still needs to come with the stuff and there's such a long window between there and and the big league so many things that can go wrong even if the projection comes on and you're right about the stuff Mm -hmm. trending up to what you yeah to what you think it's going to be or um, you know, Anderson Espinosa is is a great example. Red Sox international signing, um, who's you know just had so many injuries now over the years. But it's also the time now where, like we said, these guys have been in camp, in the academies in the Dominican Republic. Um, so we're we're starting to see them throwing now, throwing bullpens, throwing live BP. Some of them are starting, um, you know games like basically scrimmages against other clubs so we're seeing an uptick in in stuff from some of them and and in some cases it's happened before even they signed where like they you know committed to sign with a club you know they were 87 91 and then by the time they signed it's like oh this guy's throwing 95 or 96 uh and it's a little bit more quantifiable i I guess than it is with Mm -hmm. hitters progression where you know you can get updated reports on tools and and that kind of stuff. But it's a little bit easier when you hear about a guy who was, you know, 88, 92 and is now, you know, 91, 96. So um, I guess of, uh, you know, from just making so many calls around on these players. um, Yeah. Who are some of the names that are standing out to you? Yeah. A couple guys would be, I mean, one would be uh, Herson Alejandro, with the Yankees who might already know because we already have him in our Yankees top 30 prospects list. I mean, he signed for uh we'll tick over $400,000. You he's can't not a throw hard. He's a Yankees pitching prospect, right? Don't tell me he doesn't throw hard. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's him. I mean, <laughs> he's huge. He's, you know, Paul Skeen size, like six, six, two fifty. 17 years old and yeah he's throwing up to 98 miles an hour it's probably going to be triple digits pretty soon uh really good qualities components to the fastball a lot of life on it and a a really wicked changeup too that um you know curious to see how it all plays oh, I'm a sucker for a changeup, ben yeah it's i mean really lively action to the changeup like it's not just some you look at him and it's all right big dude who throws hard but he's not just some like big bruiser thrower he he has a good delivery it's really efficient arm action too i think he's going to throw strikes again we'll see when the the real game start but really good foundation of you know good big power pitchers frame power stuff to match and then he does have a good changeup to complement that fastball with a a good delivery and a lot of strikes so um you know you compare him age-wise to uh, high school pitchers in the 2024 class it's kind of an anomaly or not an anomaly but it's it's an unusual year where there's not one pitcher 
in the high school class for 2024, we were like, whoa, like this guy's, you know, head and shoulders or is a clear standout among pitchers the way, you know, maybe Thomas White would have been mm-hmm. um, at this point a year ago. But And he's even more physical than – I think he's more physical than anyone in the 2023 class on the high school side. Like I don't think we have a pitcher who's 6'6", even like 250. Yeah, Johnson is like six four. That's the one guy I was thinking of. Like Like he, he doesn't even stack up. Sakura, but Sakura is a little more like lean, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's not that. He's not that heavy. Sakura, at least we have him listed as six six two twenty. I I haven't seen Yerson, um, but he looks like he's quite a, or it sounds like he's quite a bit like wider um, and thicker. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, that that physicality jumped out to me because I feel like typically you, you're thinking of international pitching prospects who are just signed as being like these lean, wiry guys. Yeah, maybe screen. like a like Kumar Rockerish, almost just that yeah. big physical power pitchers frame with power stuff to Alec to match. Manoa. Yeah, I mean, not that big, <laughs> um, <laughs> but again, he's also seventeen, so. Um, yeah, just wait a few years. Yeah, I get like he I would not surprise me if he ends up throwing 100 miles an hour because he's not even that far, far from it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Yankees th- fans look forward to that one. Yeah, I thank him. And then, I mean, Jose Urbina was a name I was hearing buzz on before he signed. Uh, Ray signed him out of Venezuela. And. Di- different body type than Alejandro. He's about 6'3", 180, more like your classic, like, projectable pitcher's frame where there's a lot more physical upsides still to come. But he's somebody where his stuff just jumped out or jumped up, I should say, over, you know, the last year or two where... Yeah, there's a lot of projection and, and physical upside still there once he fills out. But he just turned 17 in November, and now he, um, you know, he's touching 97 miles an hour, and he was doing that uh, just before he signed, too. So that's, I mean, that's impressive. The fastball is obviously impressive, but then his ability to manipulate two secondary pitches with uh, curveball changeup both of them are, you know, swing and miss pitches for him, at least against the the hitters he's facing right now. And just judging from the the quality of the pitches, you know, irrespective of the hitters he's facing, I think that's, you know, those pitchers, those two pitchers are going to continue to be big weapons for him as he moves up the ladder. So um, good good delivery, good arm action, really fast arm. Another guy where it wouldn't surprise me if he's throwing 100 miles an hour at some point in the in the next few years. Not that he needs to because he already has a good fastball and, and has two really good secondary pitches for his age. And again, if you just compare him to the top prep arms in the 2024 class, uh, again, him and Alejandro, Again, we'll, maybe we'll see updated stuff, or I'm sure we will see updated stuff from a lot of the top pitchers in the class this summer, and especially next month, and you know PDP and, and some of the other events. But yeah, I can't wait for that one. Always there's there. there's nobody there's nobody in the in the high school class for 2024 with the kind of stuff um, 
and just the kind of overall talent I think that would match these two I mean, guys. These guys really sound like they're they're pretty similar to some of the top arms in the 2023 class in terms of just like fastball velocity. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we don't. I, I when you were talking about when you were getting into like names who jumped out at you, I, I certainly did not expect to hear multiple pitchers with upper 90s fastball velocity. I feel like that's just not something we typically hear from this demographic at this age. So pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, and again with both of them, it's yeah, throw hard. That's great, but like, there, there's pitch. yeah, can pitch, good delivery, have arm, good, can pitch, will travel. Yeah, feel for the secondary stuff. I mean, there's guys. Look, there's guys. There are prep arms in this year's draft. And I was just talking about this with a scout earlier this afternoon about how it's funny where you know if it was you know 10 years ago high school pitcher throwing 96 97 miles an hour where oh yeah it it would jump out right away and now we have guys we we have guys who are throwing in in high school who are going to who are throwing 96 miles an hour who will be in the 400s in the ba yeah as you were talking about this i was just thinking at what point are we going to reach a time where like if you don't sit around 95 in high school it's really not that impressive like it's crazy the velocity numbers that we just see well it's i don't think it's that if you don't throw that hard it's not impressive it's just you you better do a lot more than throw hard this this velocity just has become normalized at such a young age it's it's weird that so many pitchers throw this hard yeah, but it's like if if you can't, you know, throw strikes or you don't have feel for, for sure. secondary stuff or your delivery is all over the place, somebody might take a chance on you. There are I'm tons not... of pitchers who throw upper 90s that you've never heard of and you never will hear of. That's certainly true. But... They're all yeah, minor league free agents right now are littered with yeah. guys who throw hard and, uh, you know, are just not going to get signed right now yeah yeah so i i would say you know on a couple pitching names there, there's more i mean you'll read all the reports and there will definitely be some names that jump out from you know not just the guys in the top 100 bonuses like urbina is not even a top 100 bonus guy um but you'll see in the international reviews team by team i try to highlight which of the guys have really ticked up and have established themselves maybe at a higher level than what their bonus might otherwise indicate. I would say on the, on the hitter side, I give a couple names to the Marlins signed an outfielder from Venezuela, Andres Valor. Um, He was one of their biggest signings, you know, $520,000 bonus, not, you know, the a million dollar guy, but um, pretty enticing mix of some physicality he's 6'3 180 17 years old um, and he's he's going to develop into just like a big physical power type of athlete um, runs really well right now like 6'4 in the 60 runner at his best uh, I don't know if he's going to actually hold all that speed because he's going to put on I mean, he could put on 50-plus pounds pretty easily, I think. So I don't know how much of that speed retains, but I think certainly the power will be there, and it's a pretty short, efficient swing 
for especially for a kid his size and it's been really good game performance so really good blend of tools and athleticism and a lot more physical upside to come for a player who's already shown pretty good results offensively when when he has been facing live pitching yeah that one sounds exciting uh, marlins could use a few more hitters in the system i feel like um, and with that power speed combination, there's a lot to dream on with him. It sounds like. Yeah, and then I'll go. Um, I'll go Venezuelan catcher for you for, uh, you know, trying Venezuelan to Venezuelan catcher. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, I got to throw a Venezuelan catcher uh, at you. So, I mean, I'm obviously not trying to talk about the you know super high bonus guys because you know everybody can kind of know those guys trying to maybe bring a little more attention to some guys who might not be as high on the radar quite yet but um carlos vera honda a catcher the diamondback signed out of venezuela who i mean he was a pretty high profile prospect when he was an amateur doing all these showcases and i think at some of the bigger showcase events where a lot of international directors and higher up decision makers were coming in or coming in, going to Colombia, which is where a lot of the mm-hmm. Venezuelan showcases uh, have been for players. Oh, that's shifting now. I think more and more scouts are going into Venezuela. So there's been some bigger events okay. there uh, over, over the so past year or so. Kind of cooling down there or the, the tolerance has just changed? Uh, probably depends who you ask, I, but there certainly are more, a lot more scouts going into Venezuela now who hadn't been going in, in previous years. So, gotcha. um, he, I, I think at some of those bigger events, he didn't have a great offensive showing, which, um, probably just ended up hurting his, his stock overall, but defensively, I mean, it's it's pretty elite to watch. It's well above average arm strength, and it translates in games too. You're getting pop times under under one nines. Uh, again, not showcase times where you're throwing the ball from like the you know the dirt or the the grass practically and cheating and all that. But in game pop times, um, good runner, good athlete. I mean, I don't know how much the speed is really going to hold just as a catcher. It's not super important either, but, um, and then there's some things to like with the, with the offensive side. Cause the swing itself is, is pretty short. It's pretty compact. So, uh, definitely somebody who I think is going to stick behind the plate and, and has the components to be a high end defensive catcher. And I think over the past year, you've seen some good things from him offensively. So um, premium position, can defend it really well. And I think he has a, a chance to hit too. So, uh, and, and a good athlete and, athlete, uh, you know, agile and, and loose and flexible behind the plate too. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of good components there, especially for, you know, they have Gabriel Moreno, obviously, and then he's graduated now. But otherwise, the D-backs don't really have much catching in their farm system Yeah, right now. Like, they're, it's kind of the one position where you look at it and you're like, Hey, they're, huh. in a, they're in a position they could draft Kyle Teal, and it'd be make a lot of sense on talent, I feel like, right? They're after top 10 picks in the draft. So I wonder if, wonder if that's an area they'll target in the draft as well. 
What are you talking about? I just said they signed Carlos Virajanta, a 17-year-old <laughs> catcher. Why would they do that? Do you, you must get that. Oh, I'm sure you get on the draft side. Because on the international side, every year on January 15th, people be like, oh. We already have a shortstop. Yeah, we already we, – we have, we have Anthony Volpe. Why are we signing another – like, what? Like, or, or we just signed, uh, you know, <laughs> Xander Bogarts. Why are we – why do we sign another shortstop? Why do we – like – yeah, when Sander Bogarts uh, leaves the team, that's when you draft the shortstop to replace him. That's what yeah, that's what it's very be more efficient teams. Yeah, it's always a little strange to <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, well, this kid's sixteen or seventeen years old, and yeah. best case scenario, he's going to be ready to play in the I big leagues in like the, five years. I don't think years. the Atlanta Braves are, are too mad that they have both Sean Murphy and uh, Travis Darno on their team right now. So. You could do worse than having a couple good catchers on your team, even on the big league roster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's you're not you can, uh, you can drafting for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is weird though because catchers specifically, like even in the draft, I, I heard from some people who I, I typically think of as like guys who who understand that like you draft for talent, you don't really draft for need, and then. I mean, there were a lot of people who questioned when the Giants drafted catchers in the first round of back-to-back years with with Joey Bart, number two overall, and then Patrick Bailey. Um, I don't remember exactly what pick he was, somewhere in the middle of the first round. Well, the Mets have Francisco Alvarez, and they drafted Kevin Parada, too. Yeah, and I hated their draft. <laughs> you, you, you don't like Kevin Parada, famously? No, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, please, please disregard anyone who talks about not having multiple catchers because, I mean, it's a, the exact opposite in the industry too. Like, the industry wants to; they will overdraft catchers based on talent to fill organizational needs, especially once you get past like the top five rounds or so. So, you can never have too many good catchers. You can never have too many good shortstops, um, and especially the shortstops, it's very easy to move them to other positions. And for all of these guys, if you literally have a logjam at the big league level. Trading is a thing for a reason. It is, but you also have to have like the right situation come up to be able to fully capture the value of of those players, which doesn't isn't always easy to to execute. What do you, I'm, I'm confused. What do you What do you mean? Like if you have you know all right, so the. Blue Jays, for example, had mm-hmm. you know Alejandro Kirk, and then they had Gabriel Moreno. So they, you know they had a few different catchers. So you still have to have somebody. And again, like yeah, and they made a good trade. It, yeah, in that case, I'm saying like that's an example of like something came up uh-huh. where it it worked out. But it's not always going to be the case where you have you have that fit where somebody's looking for that position and likes that player i mean yes if you sure, have i guess if if it turns if if the player turns into an absolutely elite player who's a top you know 10 or 15 or whatever he was prospect at the time in gabriel moreno yeah then you're gonna have a lot of, well, i guess i guess my other point with this too is that good teams always have good depth as well so if the worst case scenario is you have multiple good players at the same position and you can't trade any and they can't both play the position, then guess what? You're gonna have you're gonna have pretty good bench and if someone gets hurt, you're not gonna have too big of a fall off. I think the Dodgers are pretty happy with that in recent years. Yeah. Well I think especially for positions other than catcher. I think catcher is more yeah. An an unusual 
position where, uh, you know, if, you know, sh- a lot of shortstops, all right, put them at third base or second base and it'll be fine. Like, yeah, you know, the Braves with Dansby Swanson and Ozzy Albies, like that's going to work out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it worked itself out well. But anyways, uh, yeah. that, Ben's, Ben's little taste of the international reviews there was just like 1% of what you're getting if you go read up on all, all the teams and all the players. So definitely check that out um, if you've not already. They're, they're being rolled out as we speak. Yeah. Although, man, speaking of not a lot of positional <laughs> uh, flexibility, Jacob Berry this man, year. man. Marlins. Why do you want to end six, this on a sour note? Six we, overall we, we, pick. We're all ready to go, and then you want, and then you want to bring up Jacob Berry and the fact that he's supposed to just mash at first base and is not hitting at all. Yeah. Well, we've been saying so many good things about LSU recently, mm-hmm. and maybe I'll balance it out by <laughs> it's just been such a like I, you know, I didn't think six overall like that was way too rich i think for me personally Especially but with at, some at, of the other college hitters that were at, there still but at the same time like man he's hitting he's hitting 161 181 296 through as a 22 year old in high a yeah 89 or excuse me 83 plate appearances with two walks 24 strikeouts like i, I wouldn't have thought this would be I mean, he anywhere in near. the draft class, people were saying he was the best, best, arguably the best hitter, the best OBP guy, the best power guy. Like there were people who thought that he consistently produced. He he hit in the SEC, he hit in the pack. Like he hit for power. He always got on base. Um, like my question was, okay, is he a third baseman, or, or more likely he's got to play first base, and then once he gets to MLB, like is he really going to hit? enough to be an impact first baseman because this guy's just going to roll through a ball and and double a i think and to see him scuffling the way he is right now is um you know i'll give him more than a month obviously but but it's, it's it's very scary because it's it's very much a bat driven profile if he's not hitting there's not a lot of value that you have there the strikeout and walk rates are very concerning um, it's a 2.4% walk rate right now, 28.9% strikeout rate. That's two walks, 24 Ks. He's not hitting the ball hard. Um, the exit velocities are very concerning for his profile and how advanced he is, like just physically and age-wise. Yeah, there it's pretty much red flags across the board right now for Barry, right? Yuri Perez looks really good, though, huh? Yeah, Yuri Perez. He looks good debuting today as you listen to this podcast. Tune in for Yuri Perez. Lots of positive things happening for the Marlins. Um, pitching, pitching, pitching with the Marlins. Don't worry about those hitters, folks. Yeah, and Andres Valor coming, coming in a while, but <laughs> coming to a ballpark near you, just maybe not the big league one. Yeah, I do. I do like that Marlins class overall. Like they didn't have like one super suit. Well, Gennaro Miller. I mean, Gennaro Miller is a two-way guy, and I mean, cool if you read, yeah, from the Bahamas um, to man, I, if you if you read his report, you will be, I think, uh, very excited. I think he will he he will be making probably an appearance in the Marlins top thirty pretty pretty soon, and Josh I, I will think, be thrilled. Oh, he's absolutely a Josh Norris kind of guy, uh, pretty electric, uh, <laughs> lower, lower level talent. 
and uh, athletic two-way guy who I think it's probably going to be a future on the mound, but I also hope he I hope he hits right away so he can keep doing the two-way thing going forward because, I mean, him, Bryce Eldridge, too. I mean, mm-hmm. sounds like he's just had some health things this this year that have kind of hampered him on the mound some, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, it's fun to see the two-way guys give it a shot. It definitely is. Or, yeah. or have the teams let the players <laughs> have a shot at doing it. Yeah, absolutely. No, that is fun to see. I don't think Bubba Chandler's doing that anymore, though. He started out, but I think it's probably a great move to let him just focus on pitching at this point. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, anything else, Ben, or is that it? I think we covered everything in baseball, yeah. Awesome. Well, if you listen, you know everything about baseball at this point. Congratulations. Um, you're welcome. Uh, but no, seriously, thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. It's, it's one of our favorite things to do here at BA, or at least for me. I won't speak for Ben. Maybe he hates having to hop on the mic and deal with me for a couple hours. But I have fun with it. Um, as we talked about throughout this show, there's a lot of good stuff on the website right now. Um, we've got the mock draft up. We've got updated draft rankings. We've got the international reviews. We've got a lot of top 100 stuff. There's really just been a lot of content on the site this week. It's only going to get busier as we get further into the minor league season as the college postseason approaches, as the draft approaches. Um, so it's always a good time to sign up for Baseball America. If you like the podcast here and you're not a subscriber, I think you would definitely enjoy all the written content um, that's going on on the site. Definitely listen to Kyle Glazer's new podcast, Behind the Plate. He's interviewing scouts um, and baseball, player development, personnel every week. Uh, really fun conversations there. You can get even more insight into what that life is like inside the industry. Check that out. Um, any other plugs? I, don't, I think those are the plugs for me. Uh, anything else you need to plug or mention, Ben, before we get out of here? Yeah, I'd definitely check out Behind the Plate. I think it's a really good idea, something that you know, we've talked about doing, and it's just kind of a matter of time, and uh, Kyle's a, a workhorse and finds a way to uh, you know, make these cool conversations happen where you kind of get some behind-the-scenes access to hear from people who've been in this game for, um, you know, whether, you know, a long time and I'm, I'm sure it'll be some younger, newer, um, you know, scouts and front office folks as well. So kind of a, a good opportunity to listen to that, those conversations and learn from them, whether it's, you know, somebody who's working for, um, you know, your, your favorite clubs team or somebody else in the game just to glean some, insight or, or wisdom from them too so i would definitely recommend behind the plate yeah all right that's gonna do it for us this week we will be back next week and, and ben this is this is episode number 50 we've made it we're halfway to 100 yeah what uh those 10 years of recording these episodes or whatever yeah. it's whatever it was we started we got to we got to 50 so i don't remember what the first like milestone episode was but i feel like this is one of the biggest milestone episodes we've gotten to 50 just feels like 50 feels like not a podcast that you just kind of dabble with it feels like it's it's legit you know we're a real podcast finally we've grown yeah up. and we're we're like the the double the length of a normal podcast so Basically it's kind of like kind of like, like episode yeah, I mean, I call it 
Yeah, I'd call it a hundred. <laughs> we should, yeah, we should just start skipping episodes. We should say the title of this episode should be episode fifty, the hundredth episode. There you go. <laughs> so if it's not that, then blame Ben because he didn't let me go through with it. But um, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next week to talk uh, about all things baseball. Um, again, thank you guys, and see you next time. <laughs>